afternoon, and welcome to Talk to Be Well, Life After COVID. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon. And today we're joined by our special guests, Parker, McKenzie, and Jared. All three join us from the Youth Line, a national teen-to-teen free and confidential helpline, and they're here to share their experiences during these very trying times. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Let's get started today. I'd like to uh, start us off by having each of our guests introduce themselves and talk about how you're coping during the quarantine. Who wants to kick off? How about you, Parker? Sure. Um, so my name is Parker. I am our Line Outreach Strategist. So um, when we're thinking about outreach in the communities, that's where you'll find me. Um, I am coping fairly well with COVID. Uh, it's been really hard not to see Youthline volunteers um, in person as much, and I'm definitely missing fishing season. I'm Jared. Uh, I'm the Youthline Outreach Specialist. Uh, so I do outreach work with Parker and... Um, yeah, I'm definitely missing more in-person volunteer time, but uh, I've been watching some new shows and finding ways to take care of myself and exercise and doing all right. I'm Mackenzie. I'm a Youthline volunteer. Um, I've been coping fairly well during the quarantine. Once I started establishing a better routine, I think it got a lot easier, and my dog is super happy to have everybody home all the time now. I don't think anybody's dogs are ever going to be the same after all of this, honestly, although the cats are all waiting for us to leave. Not going to lie. <laughs> so I'm curious for each of you, because you each have a different role with Youthline. How did you first learn about Youthline and, and what compelled you to get involved? Um, well, I know that I first learned about Youthline actually from my doctor's office. My doctor recommended it as a resource at the time, and she gave me a pamphlet. On the back, they had information about volunteering, and I was super interested. I looked it up, and I went to the next training. That's awesome. Yeah, I found out about Youthline through looking for uh, volunteer work with a crisis line and finding lines for life. And then as soon as I found out what Youthline specifically did, I knew that I wanted to get involved somehow. I actually started as, oh, sorry. I actually started as an adult volunteer with Lines for Life after a friend of mine completed suicide um, and just wanted to get more involved in, and try to raise awareness about suicide prevention. And then I already worked with teens and youth a lot, so it was a natural transition into uh, youth line as a whole. You know, you mentioned training, and I know our listeners are curious. What does it take to be a Youthline volunteer? What kind of training do you go through? It's a lot of training. I think, Parker, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the, the first training is 63 hours. Yeah. And then I've taken a few additional trainings after that, but they just really want to make sure that you're prepared to be on the lines and talking to people. And during that training um, in 63 hours, you go through um, a bunch of different topic specific trainings. So, I, you know, we talk about sexual assault or how to talk to somebody in crisis, um, but we also certify all of our youth and youth mental health first aid and safe talk. 
And then after about six months to a year, our um, our volunteers who have been with us for a little while are invited to do an applied suicide intervention skills training, which is also known as ASSIST. And it's kind of the gold standard of uh, suicide prevention. Wow. So that's pretty extensive training for being crisis, uh, for being on a youth line. That's That actually gives me really good uh, feelings about the work that you do because you're bringing a level of professionalism to a field that I care deeply about. Um, without getting into to too many details, tell me about what kind of calls you're getting and are they different now than they were before COVID? Um, so on the youth line, we get calls from all sorts of different people talking about all sorts of different things. Sometimes it's things like a fight with a friend or a family member or a bad grade at school. And sometimes it's things with individuals that are struggling with self-harm or suicidality. It honestly just depends on the person. And since COVID-19, it's honestly really hit and miss. Some of the contacts talk only about the pandemic and how they're coping with it and how they're feeling. And then sometimes it doesn't come up at all. Wow. We've also seen a large increase in numbers when it comes to contacts. Um, so between, you know, from April 2019 to April 2020, we've had about a 35% increase in the amount of calls we were getting. But we've been on a pretty upward spiral in general. So it, it can't necessarily be completely connected to COVID and quarantine. Um, and like Mackenzie said, our contact duty hasn't really changed. Um, there are still people who are struggling with homework, and there are still people who are struggling with office suicide. Jared, how about you? Are you seeing anything different? Uh, yeah, actually, the first thing that comes to mind for me is we're definitely still seeing the entire spectrum of, like, caller issues, the reason people call in. Um, but I've noticed, uh, personally, like, an increase in perhaps, like, family relationship issues because people are stuck at home with their families during the quarantine and just there's more space for that to sort of occur, I guess. For sure. There's been a lot of people who are struggling with getting along with their family. What do you say when somebody calls in there and they're struggling with getting along with their family and the answer can't be go visit grandma for a week? I mean, what do you say? How do you change up your coping mechanisms? Honestly, it depends on the person. And I think talking to the contact specifically is really important to get a feel of what exactly they need. Because some people, if it's um, a minor enough issue, they can calm down by taking their dog for a walk or making a batch of cookies. But some people need a little bit more help than that. So it really just depends on the person in specific. And that raises another question. I know in other shows that I've done recently, people have raised the concern that there may be youth who are stuck in homes that are not healthy for them to be in. Um, when you're on a call with someone and you begin to feel that maybe they're in a situation where they aren't safe, um, what are some of the things that you're trained to do? What do you do at that point if you begin to suspect that maybe somebody's in an and unsafe, maybe they're in a domestically violent situation or maybe in an abusive home. Um, well, my heart goes out to everybody who is in that situation, especially right now. I can't imagine how awful that would be. And I would obviously first just want to get a feel for the situation, tell them they only have to tell me as much as they want to, but obviously I want to do the best I can to make sure they're safe. 
Also, it's not something I would want to handle alone, so I definitely let one of my supervisors or both of them in the room know so they can keep an eye on the contact and make sure that we can get all the support from them that they need. Definitely, and, and it, a lot of the times what that looks like uh, might be connecting those people to different resources that might be helpful for them depending on the acuity of their situation and whatnot. Um, and again, with you know the their situation, if if needed, um, we will contact emergency services to do a welfare check, or, or we'll work with um, CPS a lot, um, and and we'll be really open about uh, the mandatory reporters with our contacts, so there isn't a sense of secrecy, or um, you know we're we're not going to keep that from them, but we're going to let them know and and ha help them have control over the situation as well as much as we can with them. Yeah, right away, if any contact mentions something that sets off an alarm in my head that something could need to be reported, I just let them know right away that we are mandatory reporters and that they can tell me as much or as little as they want, but I'm going to have to report if they say something that needs to be reported. So you mentioned that there's supervisors in the room you're in. What is that? What is that like? And, and what are, who are the supervisors? I mean, what are the credentials of the supervisors you have with you? Yeah, so we have two master's level clinicians in the room at all times. Um, and those are, you know, people who have their MSW or LPC, and they mm -hmm. are able to provide clinical support to contacts and the youth that are in the room. So our volunteers um, and our supervisors work really closely with each other as peers, and then they work really closely with the room. We also have um, coaching volunteers in the room that are usually uh, uh, youth that are 21 and up. Um, Jared actually was originally a coaching volunteer, so he can definitely speak to that as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I started as a coaching volunteer because at the time of going through the youth line training, I was just turning 21, basically. Um, and I, it's a really important role um, as sort of like the middle ground almost between like the supervisors who are those master's level clinicians and the volunteers themselves. Um, you're really there to help the volunteers and be a mentor for them and support them as they support others. All of the coaching volunteers and the supervisors in the room are so supportive and so helpful with things with contacts, but also just anything. They're all just the best people. And if you ever have a question about a contact, then it's, just an automatic, just ask them. Now, I know for a lot of us, uh, me, you know, me and my team in behavioral health, if we can, we're working from home. But I'm curious, are you at Youthline? Are you working from home? Are you still going into the office? What is What does that look like for you these days? We are still going into the office to do Youthline since I think it's so important for us to have like that room of people and the professionals to help us. And it would just be so difficult to do it at home. But we've added so many safety measures in order to stay safe during these times. Masks are required. We clean our stations so often that there should not be a speck of dust on them. And hand sanitizer is always there in big jugs. Okay, Most but I, I want to know. Life, uh, staff are actually working remote. Um, so I myself am working remote, and it's really sad because outreach is on the spirit hold, but we're doing what we can to still be present in the communities. Um, but when it comes to the actual room, like Mackenzie said, we're following all the CDC guidelines. Um, we are still an essential service. 
And we would never let our youth learners take calls or text or text from home because they wouldn't have that master's level clinician support in the room. Um, we don't want them to struggle with how, how to contact EMS or CPS or um, any, you know, uh, secondary trauma that could come from not being able to support somebody in, in the, you know, or feeling like you failed them. Um, and so having that support is essential to making sure our youth line volunteers feel um, empowered and encouraged and, and able to do the work that they're doing. Okay, what I really want to know is, is the big bucket of cheesy poop still there? <laughs> the snacks in the room are fantastic, though. <laughs> There's not a not there because that is COVID, like, safe, like the best way to get some sort of, like, illness. <laughs> only only prepackaged, single-serving things that it can be safe to consume. We did start getting these little bags of cookies, though, and they are my favorite. The famous Amos cookies. Oh, mm. my gosh. <laughs> So we do have a question that's come in from social. How do you learn how to, to how not to take everything you're hearing personally? How do you, as you find volunteers, uh, really de-stress? What do you do? Well, obviously we hear a lot of things that on the lines that can be really triggering sometimes and honestly just like hard to hear. Like you never want to hear somebody else struggling. And I think for me, a lot of the times I can separate it into trying to help someone, but obviously there are some things that affect me more than others, whether it just be like a high acuity contact or just something that hits home. And mm -hmm. I have no doubt that every single person in the room while I'm there, if I told them like, hey, can I talk to you? They would drop everything they're doing and talk to me about the situation. Like the support in that room is insane. And I always have dozens of people that I could call, text, or talk to in person about anything that's bothering me. So I think that just having the support in the room is really important. That's that's super helpful. I do have another question that's come in from Twitter. Uh, this is from uh, Tracy. My friend is starting to show signs of depression. How can I help? Well, signs of depression can obviously be really scary, especially if you're seeing it in someone that you really care about. So I would say that if you're in the right headspace, I would keep checking in on them, making sure that they know that you care about them. But if you're not in the right headspace, that's also totally fine. I would just try to connect them to a resource of somebody else that can help them. Youthline is obviously always there, but also people in their personal life. You know, if they have a good relationship with their parents, that's an option. Just let them know that there are so many people in their life that care about them and possibly talk to them about seeking professional help if that would be an option for them. Awesome. Thank you. And I know one of the things we've talked about in the past is uh, in your self-care is how you teach other people how to de-stress in the moment. You've got some great tips and tricks about lowering anxiety and panic in the moment. I'm wondering if you would share some of those with our viewers, because I know anxiety is the new normal and panic attacks and being afraid can happen even when you're walking through Home Depot. Uh, what are some tips and tricks you have to help people reground in the moment? 
Yeah, sadly, anxiety has become really common, but I guess one of the upsides of that is that there are so many great coping mechanisms out there. One of my favorite ones that we use on the lines is called square breathing. It's where you breathe in for four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, and then hold for four seconds, and then just repeat that over and over until you're feeling a little better. And obviously it won't work for everybody, but I find that it works for a lot of people, including me, and I've used it on the lines a lot, even over text sometimes. Oh, that's awesome. I think as someone who has diagnosed anxiety um, and depression, I've like definitely had to think about different coping skills throughout the years because you know, when I was 19, this thing might have helped and at you know 31 this is going to be really different so it's mm -hmm. important to kind of check back in with what your coping looks like or or how maybe it's not helpful anymore and um, starting to reevaluate your support system so thinking like is this person really helpful in these situations or do they actually um cause me more stress or anxiety and things like that but um in general with anxiety and depression or whatever you're going through on top of the fact that we're in a global pandemic i think it's really important to give ourselves some grace and compassion because it's really hard to come by um humans aren't really naturals at giving ourselves compassion in the first place um so it is a learned thing it's not something inherent it's not something natural for us so trying to just sit with it and say you know i'm doing the best i can with what i have right now and this is this is what i this is all i can do is okay too um and another thing i just want to point out especially during COVID is that we don't have to be completely productive. Um, we don't, and that doesn't also mean that we have to celebrate, you know, that I've been on the couch for six days and I'm only watching Netflix. There is a common ground and a medium between those two. Um, but when we're, when we're feeling overwhelmed because we have online school and we're having thoughts of suicide and our friends are struggling and blah, 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 blah. Um, and maybe we're in a toxic space at home. It's really important to just step back and be like, if I can just do one thing today, that's great. And if it's just getting out of bed and putting my feet on the floor, that's awesome. Yeah, kind of going off what Parker said, I've heard a lot of people really down on themselves for not being as productive as normal. And I think that we just have to take into account, like we are going through a global pandemic right now. Like we are not going, this is nowhere near normal. So if we're not being as productive as like we usually are, that's totally fine. I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves to do more than normal and just stress their bodies out. But we're already going through so much. And if we can get one thing done during the day, that's one thing that we've gotten done and that's something. So I think people, we just gotta give ourselves some slack. I know that I'm not being as productive as normal and sometimes it is hard. And I, But then I gotta remind myself that this is a global pandemic and it's completely normal to not be doing perfectly fine. Definitely. And sorry, in a, in a similar sense, uh, I find myself to be fairly self-critical from time to time. And I think an important way that I've conceptualized it is that you can only do the best you can and that the best you can is very fluid and changes with, you know, the context that you're presented with. And in the context of a global pandemic, the best you can might not be what it always was or what you'd hope that it would be but you still have to like recognize that you can only do so much. Mm -hmm. And the best that somebody else is doing, I know with social media, you can see what everybody's doing all the time. And just because somebody else is being super productive doesn't mean you have to be. You know, that's definitely, really that's really, 
Oh yeah, no, that's a really, really great point. I love that you're you know, living examples of that self-compassion and grace uh, and encouraging people to give themselves grace. Social media can be a real trigger for people. Do you find that you get calls uh, about people having issues in social media? And is there anything different that you tell people there? For sure. A lot of people reach out. Just social media can be super toxic for a lot of people, especially because there's so many different people you can compare yourself to. There's so many different triggers for different people on all the different apps. And we do get people reaching out, talking about social media and how it's affecting them. And then usually it's different for every person. I usually say, like, take a break. There's no harm in just staying off the apps for a little bit. If that can be helpful to you, just do things in life that aren't on a screen to de-stress. I know I sound kind of old saying that, but like, it's so helpful to just like, like, I love just like, I'm so sick of my phone sometimes. I like think I'm like, what am I even doing on this thing? So I think it's just helpful to like, look outside, go on a walk, like color. I love just like print out like a coloring sheet or draw your own and fill it in. And I think right now being really aware of the kind of information that you're, you know, you're receiving and what you're looking at, because there is a lot of misinformation. And so if, if you're, you know, if you want to watch the news, bless your heart, but if you want to watch the news and you want to look at information regarding COVID, make sure it's coming from reliable and credible sources. So going like directly to CDC or, you know, looking at, um, looking at legislature around it, like these, these really, um, these sources that are going to give you the right information because there are so many different outlets and um, that can really induce a lot of stress and anxiety in people, whether you know that it's happening or not. Um, and if you're watching a lot more news or taking more information than you usually do, you might see an increase in some physical symptoms that you hadn't had before or some mental health challenges that you hadn't had before. Um, so it's really important that you're, you're, you're taking in as much news as you can if that's what you want and also giving yourself those breaks that Mackenzie was talking about, not just from the news, but from social in general or texting or just screen time. Because right now I think we're all like zoomed out and Google hanged out and like all of it, we're done with it. So making sure we give our, our eyes a break and our backs a break and getting up and walking and all of those things. Too. So I do have another question that's just come in. How do you all recommend we leverage social media in creative and positive ways to support one another? I know Youthline especially has a really uh, big presence on several social media platforms. How do you create positivity in that space? I think social media for a lot of people can definitely be a highlight reel. I mean, people like to post like the, the good aspects of their life, not necessarily the bad parts. So just recognizing yourself that like, it's not everybody's bad parts. People's lives are not just what they post. It's really important. And also like Youthline has an amazing social media with so much, so many coping mechanisms, so many supportive people. And there are so many great like Instagram pages, Twitter pages that just have all sorts of things like that. So if you can fill your feed with supportive things and not just highlight reels, that can be really helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really huge to find pages and things that are posting messages of hope because it's really easy to lose sight of that. And when you're keeping up with the news all the time and 
and whatnot. So just surrounding yourself with the right type of positivity and hopeful messaging can be huge as, as well as just social media, um, though it can burn us out, can also be used to stay connected to people. So, you know, finding the right ways for you that work to help you feel more connected to others without burning yourself out. I agree completely. And I say all the time that, you know, just because you think positive, positive things will happen. I, I don't believe in that. I think that you have to take action, but thinking mm-hmm. positively sure does help, right? It doesn't, it doesn't um, hurt us to just kind of see it, see it on the bright side or give ourselves some space for some optimism every once in a while. Now that's really, really helpful. I know our friends uh, that we work with sometimes at hashtag I can help talk about when you see someone online being bullied, flood their post with positivity and with positive messages and supportive messages. And even doing that to people who are doing, doing the bullying to help them, you know, change their frame of mind and their frame of reference to flood them with love and positivity can be a a very supportive tool. I'm a big believer in that as a a way to creatively change the game in social media. Um, I do have another question. One of our viewers, Matt has asked, can I call Youthline just to talk to another teen or do I have to be in crisis? So Youthline is a crisis and support line. So you do not have to be in crisis to call. We're here to talk about any sort of mental health issue. So yeah, you can call in if you're just having, a lot of people call in and think that like, since they aren't suicidal, they can't talk to us or we're too busy. I've gotten that a lot. People being like, well, if you're busy, like, I don't want to bother you. It's never a bother if you reach out. We are always really want to talk to you and you do not have to be in crisis to reach out. I think it's a good opportunity, too, for young people um, to rewrite that narrative around what crisis actually is, because we do think about crisis and we have high level crisis of, you know, I'm I'm self-injuring or I'm thinking about suicide or um, I know that A, B and C happened. Right. But crisis is big and small. It's all the in-betweens. And so if we can re-evaluate that in our brains and give it a new definition and say that, like, if, if I'm having a bad mental health day, that can be a crisis and you deserve to talk to somebody. Um, so whatever it is that you're going through, you should have that support and you have it at Youthline. And we can also brainstorm other ways you can get support if you're feeling like that's not something you have in your, your day-to-day or your personal lives or personal networks. Yeah, one of my favorite things that we say at Youthline is crisis looks different for everybody. One person's crisis is not going to be the same as someone else's. And even different people's crises can look different. I mean, there could be someone who's really upset about having a bad grade, and that could be a crisis for them. And there's someone who's really upset because they can't stop self-harming, and that's a crisis for them. And neither is bigger or smaller than the other. They're both equally as important, and we are both happy to talk about both of those. That is awesome, awesome, awesome. I wanna make sure as we're starting to wrap up, I know that your outreach efforts to get new volunteers have probably taken a bit of a hit, uh, given that you can't go and present at school assemblies and do the normal things you would do to talk to teens. So I wanna make sure to give you some time to what is the commercial from Youthline for getting some volunteers to come and do training later this summer when we can all be back together? Awesome. I'm glad you asked that because even though recruitment looks different, it's still happening. Um, With outreach in the classrooms, we're now offering a virtual lesson. So if teachers or organizations or providers are interested in that, they can always reach out to us and and ask about that. 
Um, but when it comes to recruitment efforts in general, we're still having a pretty large amount of teams who are reaching out about potentially volunteering with us. Um, we actually just did our second virtual orientation this week and we had about 40 people. And the last one we had like 50 or something like that. So we still have a lot of people who are showing up. Um, that means that training is is on hold a little bit, but it's it's going to resume soon, and it's just going to look really different. It's going to be smaller batches of teams, um, and we're going to follow all the CDC guidelines, and we're going to figure it out. But um, if you're interested in volunteering, the only requirements are that you have to be between the ages of 15 and 20. Um, if you want to do a coaching volunteer, you have to be 21 and up, and then you would have to go through the training, and you have to live in the Portland metro area or in Central Oregon near Bend. Um, other than that, you can reach out to us and we can give you more information about what that looks like. And our email is actually youthl at linesforlife.org. Awesome. And we will be sure and put that um, contact information online so that you have that. Jared, what's your pitch to get people to, to join? I honestly, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just all the, for all the adults out there who want to be a part of this and make a difference, the coaching volunteer position is such an amazing opportunity. And I, it helped me so much in not only obviously supporting others and making a difference, but also in guiding my career and helping me recognize more about what I value and what I want to do. So I would just speak to that. I suppose. And Mackenzie, how about you? Um, I would just say that Youthline has changed my life in the best way possible. It is hands down the most supportive environment I have ever been in. It is amazing. It's helped my own mental health get worlds better. And I, I love it so much. And I think that it's a great opportunity. Well, I think that's the best way to wrap today's episode. I want to thank Mackenzie, Jared, and Parker for joining us today on Talk to Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, and I think next week, uh, Parker's gonna do a takeover for me next week with uh, some of our other students. So join next week at noon on Wednesday. If you're looking for help processing anxiety or any other medical questions, or if you need help and just somebody to talk to, you can always visit us at providence.org, but you can also call the youth line and text teen to teen to 839-863. Again, that's teen. Text the word teen, the number two teen, to 839-863 or call 877-968-8491. That information will be online. Thank you again. This has been a great show and be well.